Welcome to the North Women's Bible Study, Jesus Portraits of Our Precious Savior. Joining with me this morning is Amy Catterson, who serves on our Bible study team and co-leads the Wednesday evening uh, discussion group. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Would you like to pray this morning, Amy, as we start? Absolutely. Father, how we thank you for the gift of your son and for these amazing pictures of his heart and his ministry and he as a gift to us, our Redeemer. I pray, Father, as we consider these precious pictures that you will give us eyes to see and hearts that love and trust in Jesus even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week we're going to see one really magnificent portrait of Jesus as our precious teacher. The Gospels are so full of mentions of his teaching ministry. In Mark, we read that he went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then, of course, we're familiar with the story of how he went up on that hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee and he taught his followers in what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, in Mark 4 we read, He began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And then in John 13, uh, he said to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So in many different places, in synagogues, mountainsides, lakes, one-on-one clandestine meetings at night and unexpected conversations, Jesus taught. He taught in public and in private, in cities and in the countryside, during the day during the night to the rich and to the poor to strangers and to friends he had no prestigious degree from an esteemed university and no modern resources like sound systems or powerpoint or google meet (laughs) (laughs) and yet people were amazed they were astonished at his wisdom they said where did this man get these things what is the wisdom given to him How are such mighty works done by his hands? Mark 6, 2. And then Matthew 7 tells us that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And I think it's so wonderful that we still have his teachings as recorded Mm -hmm. by these gospel writers. And it's just amazing that we can study his word and, and we can be taught as well. So through sermons, conversations, word pictures, images, parables, his words are unforgettable and timeless. The greatest of all teachers use words to paint pictures for us, and those pictures point to precious gospel truths. Indeed, a picture is worth a thousand words, you might say. Yeah, so in this lesson, we explore various people who met with Jesus and heard his teaching, which revealed more of who he is and the great salvation that he brings. And we'll see that some had eyes to see and those, you know, see all those precious pictures. And we were talking yeah. about this just a second ago, how... Right. It, it just strikes me that part of the reason that Jesus spoke in parables, which reveal himself to some and conceal him, his true identity from others is that even from the beginning of his ministry, even from the beginning of time, God has desired to bring people to himself by faith. It's not uh, an offer of a relationship only for those who have the most education or who are the best read in some culture or society. He grants sight through the gift of faith that God himself offers. And it is a gift that he extends to the greatest and the least. And I love that, um, that reality, that it's not just something that we attain. It's, mm-hmm. it's for any who receive. Um, 
I think that probably the people who were with Christ, who were anticipating a Messiah, they were maybe surprised at the ministry of Christ because surely one who was going to fulfill all of these Old Testament um, promises and prophecies would get to work revealing himself as the most powerful, the most mighty. And yet over and over, Christ demonstrates that his purpose in coming was to give the good news of the kingdom. His call was to preach the open door of the kingdom of heaven that he himself was bringing and that the the big problem he came to solve was not primarily political, but it was a problem of the heart that he came to, um, to open eyes to and ultimately to provide the way of salvation mm-hmm. for oh, us. Thanks, Amy. So, you know, as we dive into this lesson here, um, the first picture that we see is um, that Jesus says we have to be born again. And so he (laughs) has this meeting with Nicodemus and um, this passage. Why don't you read it, Amy? This is um, from, have you got it open there? John 3. And maybe we can go through, I don't know, the first maybe 14 verses. Sure. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Oh, this is just such a beautiful passage. Yeah. You know, that Nicodemus comes and he sees Jesus as his teacher. Yeah. You know, addresses him as, as rabbi. And he seems really respectful. He does. He recognizes that Jesus has great understanding and speaks words of truth. Yeah. And he, he just, you know, I don't know that he's really... He's not really too sure who Jesus is, no. <laughs> but he's very inquisitive. He's very curious. And, you know, it got me to thinking, and you have this, this is a question that we had in the study is just, you know, our own attitude that we have toward Jesus, yeah. you know, just to, to ponder how it looks in our own life to come to Jesus as a teacher. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting. I feel um, the definite need for help and wisdom to stay in and day out. And so I think it is such a gift that we know Christ as teacher because mm-hmm. we are foolish. We are inclined to the mm-hmm. wrong way. And I just even love that as we begin the sermon series in Proverbs, that we have Christ who is our wisdom, who yeah. is in whom are hidden all the treasures yes. of wisdom. Yes. 
And oh, we should certainly see that today yes. in these passages. Yeah, so we want to have those kind of attitudes to just come to him and ask. And, you know, I think it's interesting here that Jesus doesn't confirm to Nicodemus who he really is, but he does tell Nicodemus what he needs what needs to happen in order for him to enter the kingdom of God. And so we see beautiful images and pictures and analogies that Jesus uses. And one of them is born again. Um, he also talks about, you know, water, spirit, wind here. But let's zero in on the image of birth. You know, the this is question five in your lessons. And, uh, you know, why is that a good way to communicate to all of us what we need? I think it's very evident. <laughs> as a mother, I can have a greater recall than as a child being born. This is not something that is, you know, a project for a baby. Like, I'm, this right. is the day. I'm going to work real hard. <laughs> we don't choose any of our circumstances, do no. we? No. Yeah. And even the yeah. transformation mm-hmm. that a baby undergoes from dwelling in this dark, silent place into a world of light and sound and air and relationship is a remarkable picture of what the Spirit does in our hearts. Yeah. You know, when we compare it to our spiritual life, you know, the darkness to light is, is a, is a pretty accurate description, isn't it? You know, that we are (laughs) kind of brought into the light and, um, you know, I, I was also thinking about the fact that, you know, these babies, as when we are a baby, we are just completely dependent, you know, on others to take care of us. There's, there's nothing that we do. No. You know. And that, too, is a picture, even mm-hmm. in a deeper sense, yeah. before the new life is granted us from Christ, we're not even just as helpless as a baby. We're dead. Yes, in our <laughs> transgressions and sins. And yeah. so everything that we have in our life with Christ, we receive as a gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in this, you know, encounter, Nicodemus mm-hmm. doesn't seem to actually grasp, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, he, you know, but Jesus challenges him then, doesn't he? Um, he, he says, you're a teacher. You're a teacher of Israel. Um what a sad thing that, that, that you, he would not know and understand these spiritual truths. Yeah. You know, the Old Testament had these, you know, different kind of pictures, and Nicodemus was not connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. And, but as we talked earlier, unless you're given those eyes of faith yeah. to see, you don't make those connections, That's do you? Right. So, yeah. Um, Jesus gives another picture here in John 3, uh, 14 through 17. And this precious picture is a little confusing, isn't it? <laughs> it takes some background. <laughs> yeah, he, he explains how eternal life is possible for whoever believes. And the picture here is a serpent. Um, right. You know, he's pointing back to a story in the Old Testament here, and um, I had to go back and to look at this in the in the lesson. We went to Numbers chapter 21, actually, and um, let's see. Would you like to read Numbers 21 for sure. us, Amy? So this is starting in verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. (laughs) Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. 
and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So, hmm, how does this connect to Jesus? Yeah. (laughs) You know, Jesus said that when he was lifted up, so that is Mm -hmm. similar to when Moses lifted up this pole. Right. in In the wilderness. And I think... This is kind of a confusing picture, but when you think about how that we have all been bitten by sin, and we are under a death penalty, just like the people of Israel were, you know, we're dying of sin just as they were dying. And, you know, think of the time how ridiculous or absurd this remedy would have seemed. Right. (laughs) Even today you can feel very skeptical that just looking at something is going to solve a Mm -hmm. real tangible problem. Yeah. And I think that's probably exactly the point that it required faith. Yeah. Not to work hard to Mm -hmm. come up with their own remedy or their own solution, but to take God's word and look to his provision. Yeah. And, you know, when we think about it now, I mean, I think I've shared the gospel with people that just say, it's too easy. It can't be just as simple as looking to Jesus. I think it was, um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that actually was saved. Overhearing. He was overhearing this, (laughs) this preacher saying, look to Jesus, look to Jesus and be saved. And, you know, he, he thought, well, how, how simple that was. And yet when you're given those eyes of faith to see, then you do behold Jesus and you realize he is, he is the one that that came for us. And it's, and it's really true that when we look to him, we have eternal life. We won't perish. And it is the unique gift of God's salvation Mm -hmm. in Christianity that we do not work We do not seek and strive and earn. We look to the one who has done that great work. Yeah. I mean, Moses could have said, um, here's the recipe Mm -hmm. that God gave me for the medicine. Go collect this and this and this and make this potion and then you'll, then you'll live. Um, But in this case, it was, it was nothing that they could do other than just to look. Yeah. Uh, Which is pretty it's it's a beautiful picture yeah even it, though it's confusing and it's counter human nature this is not a solution that any human would conjure up because we are born to yeah. strive we are yeah. born to seek our mm-hmm. own solution to problems not to just receive what yes. god reveals yes thanks amy i think we're going to move along to the next section which is living water and i think you find this in your lesson on page 64 and i have a question amy for you what is one thing that you really hate doing and you'll just put off Uh, well at present i am (laughs) feeling the impending need of working on my taxes oh it's not something i would say i'm looking forward to (laughs) Do you know that when I led discussions Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, I think that was the first thing that was said both times. Tis the season, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. It's facing all of us. Um, You know, even Joseph and Mary didn't get away from having to travel to their hometown to do the census and, you know, pay taxes, pay taxes. Well, for Jews of that time, it was going to Samaria. Mm -hmm. They did not like going to Samaria, but we read here... In John 4, 1 through 6, that when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And I think this is beautiful. He had to pass through Samaria. I just love the way John phrased that. Puts that so tidily into words. (laughs) So we're going to grab our maps now, and you have this on page 181. This is a map 
that I have that I've zoomed in a little bit, but you remember from last week that um, Israel was essentially divided into kind of two halves. We have Galilee up here in the north, and we have Judea down here in the south, and then we have this area of Samaria that's right here in the middle of these two. And so last week we traced a possible route that Mary and Joseph might have taken because you remember that Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth and they had to go all the way down here. They probably went from Jericho down to Jerusalem and finally to Bethlehem. And you notice that that's one route that Jewish people would take to avoid going to Samaria. There's another route where they could have gone over here and they could have gone along the sea to do the same thing. But both of these routes allowed them to bypass this country of, or this area, this region of Samaria. And a bit of Old Testament history might help us understand why the Jews avoided Samaria. In fact, they despised the Samaritans. And historically, what happened was that when Israel was divided into uh, the north and the south kingdom, um, Samaria, you can see right here in the middle, this this is a little village or city, Samaria was the capital of the region, mm -hmm. kind of like we have New York, New York. But then in 721 BC, Israel was conquered by Assyria, and what Assyria did, their practice was to take some of the Israelites back to Assyria. Mm -hmm. They brought Assyrians back to the land of Israel uh, to just kind of interbreed, mingle there. And so this area... Um, was not fully Jewish, Hebrew, mm -hmm. but it had some Assyrians. Um, and so it became known as kind of a half-breed area. And the Samaritans also had some mixed-up theology, you might say. Right. They believed in the first five books of the Torah, and they worshipped in a unique way as well. And this kind of goes way back to some arguments over whether this area of Shechem should be the place of worship versus Jerusalem. And so there was a lot of arguments that took place between these people here. But this area was a, was a very uh, well-traveled area because um, you didn't have to go around Samaria. There was actually a nice route that would go, you know, north to south and east to west. And so it was kind of at a crossroads here. And there were two famous mountains here as well. Gerizim and Ebal, and a lot of famous things in the Old Testament took place here, like the covenant renewal ceremonies and things like that. So, but in this conversation, you remember in the conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus used the phrase, whoever believes. And I just thought it was important for us to go back and to look at how many times Jesus said this. I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, he says this over and over. And even at the end of chapter 3, John the Baptist uses this phrase. And then Jesus travels here now. He had to go through Samaria. And who is he going to meet? He's going to meet another, he's going to meet a woman, another whoever yeah. here. And that, so that brings us to the section on living water. And let's read um, John 4, verses 7 through 15. Would sure. you like to read that, Amy? Absolutely. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Mm -hmm. The water that I will give him will become in him 
a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. All right. Thanks, Amy. The next, we're at question 10 right now. I think that's on page, what is it? 64. 64. And uh, this is a little table, and that is because I'm such a visual learner yeah. that for me, it, it just helps me to make some comparisons. And I actually added one more thing on here. So we're going to just take a minute to kind of compare what we've observed about Jesus, the this woman at the well, and Nicodemus, because we can we can draw some contrasts here as well. So, Amy, do you want to begin sharing some reflections? Sure. Well, I think that this scene of Jesus interacting with this woman is such a beautiful picture of his heart because mm-hmm. this is this is an area that would have been avoided by the average Jew. But Jesus saw this as what he was called to do. He mm-hmm. pursues mm-hmm. this woman and engages with her. And I think um, that just draws to mind how Christ was ever mindful of the Father's will, that mm-hmm. his agenda was set by God's purposes for him. Yeah. So even as he's waiting at this well and a woman comes, a Samaritan woman, he addresses her and he addresses her in a way that is not intimidating, not um, overbearing, but he asks for help. And that opens the door to his own expression mm-hmm. of being able to mm-hmm. help and minister mm-hmm. to this woman who is coming to the well at a very unexpected time of day. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I think it's striking that this is a noonday interaction mm-hmm. at the well, mm-hmm. which is not when the typical um, woman would come to gather water for the day. And, and then, of course, contrasted with Nicodemus, exactly. who when he comes at in the middle no, of the night. Right. Which is not the typical time that a theological That's discussion right. is held with the teacher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think also we see that Jesus is revealing himself as precisely what this woman needs. Mm. She's coming for water. And even through a brief conversation, Jesus sees and even draws her own attention to deeper thirst in her life. Yeah, so she is a woman who has, I mean, she has a thirst She's asking some really good questions, isn't she? Yes, she is. Um, I just think it's it, it's pretty amazing that, you know, I mean, Jesus starts a conversation with with her. And with Nicodemus, it's Nicodemus who actually pursues Jesus to start that yeah. conversation. Right. So we see a little bit of contrast, you know, there as well. He's the one that uh, he, he asks first. And he, of course, is a religious expert. He's coming to a teacher as a teacher where this woman would definitely be one of the (laughs) has-nots. She doesn't have status. She doesn't have um, great teaching or training. Yeah, no formal education probably. I mean, Mm -hmm. women didn't go to rabbi school. Right. (laughs) So She has questions. Yeah, but she does she does have some pretty um she's so curious and she knows her theology. Yes, uh, which is is interesting as well. And you know, I guess there's been a lot of speculation as to why she came at noonday. Mm-hmm. You know, um we see later in the story a little bit more of her personal story. Yeah. And so, you know, she's had, you know, five husbands and so it's She's probably not a culturally accepted part mm-hmm. of this community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so interesting that, you know, I think what these stories show is that, you know, in the case of Nicodemus, he may not have even realized that he had a need for Jesus. Right. 
uh, he just wanted to know who he was and um, to to recognize, you know, that he was doing some amazing signs and wonders, and and yet Jesus speaks with him and teaches him. And this woman at the well, Jesus goes out of his way, and no one is beyond the reach yeah. of Jesus. No one has circumstances in their lives that are too hard for God's grace to overcome. Yeah. And I think it's it's beautiful that you know they both need Jesus even if they don't even know that they yeah. need him. And even though Jesus gives a different picture to Nicodemus than he does mm-hmm. to the woman at the well. Mm-hmm. They both underscore the fact that what they need is to be received as a gift. Yeah. To Nicodemus, mm-hmm. it's to look, look mm-hmm. to Christ yeah. as he is lifted up. To this woman at the well, it's to receive living water that would become a spring of water welling up within her to eternal yeah. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just think these are two beautiful stories and the, the fact that they're put back to back in, you know, in the book of John is, is just really, really beautiful. And... You know, now she did not uh, probably understand this picture of living water. Mm-hmm. because All the illusions. And... Yeah, because she says, well, if you give this to me, then I won't have to come to the well every day. So she's <laughs> Very thinking, practical. Yeah, she, she <laughs> probably was thinking that Jesus was talking about this fresh, amazing running water. and uh, But he was offering something much better. Uh, a spiritual satisfaction. Um, eternal life. And so I think, um, I, I think the other thing here that I noticed that maybe Amy, you have some thoughts on, is that, you know, Jesus says, Jesus says here that um, he, he's he's not saying I am the living water, but he would give living water to her, and I think then that that that. That means we have to do a little bit more investigating. Right. What does this living water point to? Yeah, what does it mean? <laughs> and, you know, when Jesus told Nicodemus, you know, you're a teacher, you know, you should understand these things. It makes us think, oh, we should go back to the Old Testament. So why don't we do that yes. uh, to go back to uh, understand the term living water. And Jeremiah is one where he wrote, um, be appalled, O heavens, at this, be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here God is portrayed as this fountain of living waters that the people have rejected. You know, instead they're they're choosing to drink out of leaky buckets of contaminated mm-hmm. gross water which is yeah. <laughs> I mean it really encapsulates the problem of the human heart because mm-hmm. this is what we all do <laughs> we find and crave after mm-hmm. all kinds of things looking for satisfaction yeah. but they never can yeah. they are broken cisterns yeah. that will leave us still parched mm-hmm think the old song that we used to sing there's a hole in my bucket right you know it's it's uh that that's a problem we all have yeah. that problem yeah okay if we go to um isaiah isaiah talks here about wash yourselves make yourselves clean mm-hmm. remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes so there's a component of water that is cleansing right. and ezekiel this is one of my favorite passages here Um, where God made this promise, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. I just love that. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of stone Mm -hmm. from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Oh, this is a passage that I'll bet Nicodemus wished he would have remembered. Right. I mean, that 
that picture of the Spirit is here yeah. again mm -hmm. that Jesus drew yeah. attention to with Nicodemus. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then I also love Isaiah 55. It's just such a beautiful invitation. Mm -hmm. Would you like to read that? Sure. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Oh, what a beautiful invitation. And even as you were reading that, Amy, I hadn't, I hadn't seen this before, but, you know, Jesus here, I mean, he's inviting this woman at the well to come and to drink and not be thirsty anymore. But next week when we are in the I am statements, we get the beautiful picture of Jesus who says, I am the bread of life. You need to come and eat from me. And so here this passage in Isaiah has both of them. Both of them. It's, he refreshes us. He yeah. nourishes us. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so this is a picture of eternal life and, and how our deepest needs are met. And... I just think, you know, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I think that this is something that we can share with one another. Yeah. You know, I just want to encourage all of you that are listening that um, to think about your own life and experience and how God has seen you, has spoken with you at sitting down at the well. Points of need. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And to share that living water with others. And we see that that's what this woman does next you know I mean she mm -hmm. she well first she actually she wants to find out who exactly is this person Russell right some theological questions questions here uh, because Jesus then goes on and um, says go call your husband and come here and the woman answered him I have no husband and Jesus said to her you are right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband what you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So she's revealing here her knowledge of the differences in mm -hmm. theology between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So she recognizes that he's a prophet. Um, she voices what she knows about the Messiah. And I just think this is beautiful how Jesus responds. It's a the, bit of... <laughs> the, the clearest revelation to the least expected yes. person <laughs> yes and I just think you know here he is in private with this woman at the well he's not in public and the sentence I think I don't know would you think you've got an English background right is this a little bit awkward sentence construction here Amy I who speak to you am he normally <laughs> I would probably say something a little more like yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he could have said, I am he. And he says this later, right, when mm -hmm. he's standing before the high priest. But some scholars think that this is the first I am statement mm -hmm. where Jesus is really, you know, if you if you rearrange the words here a little bit and take out that modifier, 
I am mm-hmm. the one who is speaking the to Messiah. you. Yeah, yeah I, I am he. And I think it's beautiful that he reveals himself to her like that. I mean, you know, as one of his first self-revelation. Yeah. Um, yeah, that gift of clarity mm-hmm. of his identity. Yeah, yeah. And if next week now when we do the I am statements, we're going to see that um, most of the I am statements were given to large crowds where he stands up and he just proclaims, I am the bread of life. I am the shepherd of the sheep. And But there's one other place where he speaks with a woman and says, I am. And that's when he speaks to Mary and Martha after their mm. brother Lazarus has died. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life, which is so beautiful. So I'm excited for next week's lesson yeah. on the I am statements. Absolutely. But before we get there, at this point when she says you know she just you know can can this really be the christ she uh, goes on to then tell um, many of her friends so she goes back we read in john 4 that many samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony it sounds like there's living water flowing (laughs) out of her heart to others And so she goes on to just, you know, share with, you know, a, a lot, many. So mm-hmm. the passage goes on to say, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Mm -hmm. beautiful beautiful picture here so we've seen some beautiful pictures I think it's pretty amazing here Amy that we have all these Samaritans that are actually seeing they have eyes of faith they're believing in who Jesus is and it's so sad that as John tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he came to his own and his own received him not. And it sort of underscores again that it's only when God opens the eyes. It's not the background. It's not knowing right information. Mm -hmm. Even these religious leaders who were experts of the law, who knew the Torah, they did not see Christ for who he was. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we've come to page 67 in our lesson at this point, and you had a giant chart. (laughs) We're not going to go through that giant chart, but uh, we're just going to talk through a few of these these parables. They're really precious pictures Mm -hmm. of um, Jesus, who he is, and how they point to Jesus. So, Amy, are there a few that stood out to you that you'd like to just comment on? Sure. Well, it was a sweet reminder for me to go through these parables and just think back to our women's Bible study last summer Mm -hmm. when many of these were explored in a little more depth. And um, just a few of the pictures that stood out to me are Christ as the bridegroom Mm -hmm. for whom the wedding feast is filled with unexpected guests any who would come, both bad and good. I just um, I love mm-hmm. that picture. Mm-hmm. I love the picture of um, the father and the prodigal son who yeah. does not stand aloof from his, the son who has made wretched ruin of his inheritance but he sees him, he feels compassion, Mm -hmm. he runs and embraces and kisses and celebrates. Mm -hmm. And even to see the other side of that picture, that he even comes out to his stubborn and proud older son and (laughs) entreats him, just gives such a picture of, of the mercy brought to us through Jesus. I love that. Yeah, there are just so many wonderful pictures. And so I would just encourage, 
you that are listening, if you didn't make it this far in your lesson, just go back and maybe just explore some of these as you get a chance because there's some just really beautiful pictures. You know, one that I really like is in Matthew 9 where Jesus is accused of eating with these sinners. <laughs> and he said, I, I came to seek and save the lost. I, I didn't come for those that are well. I came to he heal those that are sick. Good physician. And so he is, he is that wonderful, great physician. And so just lots of beautiful pictures. So we're going to finish up by going to John 7, uh, 37 through 39. And this is in your, actually in the further study section. So this isn't a, a section that we discussed when we were in class this week. But I just wanted to set us, you know, set the scene here. Because Jesus stands up and he says, or the John tells us this is a scene, is on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. And so to really get the impact of what Jesus was saying, we need to know a little bit about the feast. And so here is a mock-up, I guess you'd say, because uh, these uh these wouldn't be uh, lasting from the time of Jesus, but uh, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles was a time of great Thanksgiving for the harvest. Uh, it took place in September or early October, and it was a time of great joy. And this was one of the celebrations that required all the Jewish people to make a camping trip to Jerusalem. I know you like camping with your family, Amy. Always an adventure. Yes. Well, these people would make three-sided lean-tos with uh, branches for the roof, and they lived outdoors in these structures for seven days. But it wasn't to be a reminder of how difficult the wandering in the wilderness was, but it celebrated God's good provision for them while they were in the desert. And so it was while they were setting up their, busy setting up these tabernacles or these booths that Jesus arrived for the feast and there's a sweet connection here remember john 1 yeah right yeah so the word became flesh and dwelt and what is tabernacled that? yeah us. yes he tabernacled with us and so now when the people of israel celebrated the feast of tabernacles they considered uh their past their present and their future and the way that the feast looked back was that they would remember how God had provided living water from the rock during the wilderness wanderings. So um, over and over, uh, the Israelites experienced times of no water. And I think we had a list of some of those in the further study section of your lesson. But, you know, no water in the wilderness would have been disastrous. Yeah, that's a, that's I mean, a dire situation. They could only survive for a few days. And so without water... Death was certain. It's like for us, you know, if we don't abide in Christ, we'll die. He's our source of life. Well, God saw their need and he provided miraculously. And back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses said this about the dry desert times of Israel's wandering. He said, Yahweh led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions. Hmm, that was in our lesson this week too, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you and to do you good in the end. And we're going to talk about manna next week, so <laughs> we'll stay tuned. More on that. Yeah. But this feast that they celebrated, uh, they also celebrated God's provision for them in the here and now. So, and they also prayed for the year ahead. And one of the rituals that they celebrated for seven days as they reenacted God's provision was a, a ritual that's not mentioned in the Bible, but was included in oral tradition. And they still actually do this in modern days. It's called the water libation or drink offering ceremony. And they would go to the pool of Siloam because this was considered living water. Mm -hmm. It was spring-fed water. It wasn't stagnant. And a priest would go, and a priest would gather water in a gold pitcher. And as they did this, they, they would sing from Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Mm -hmm. 
And then they would just, they would march in a, in a giant a parade, this procession, back up the hill to the Temple Mount with the trumpets blaring and great fanfare. And there the temple priest would pour the water into a silver bowl by the altar of burnt offering each day for seven days. And there were two of these bowls. There was one for the water and the other one for the blood or the wine. And after they were filled, the priest poured them over the altar as an offering. And then, I think this is so cool, on the seventh day they would march around the altar seven times to celebrate that God is sovereign. He's our powerful deliverer. Mm -hmm just like they marched around Jericho seven times and the walls fell in. But the ceremony also looks toward the future because they would sing from Zechariah 14, 8 about the Messiah. Living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. So the, year after year, they would, they would proclaim the Messiah would come and when he comes, living water will flow. And so this is the scene then of Jesus when he gets up and he speaks. So on the last day, he, he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified living water the promise of the spirit he offered this water that they might live spiritually just like their forefathers were enabled to live physically and paul beautifully connects the dots doesn't he in first yeah. corinthians yeah it says in first corinthians 10 for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was christ oh it's just such a beautiful picture for us of God's desire and his ability to provide for our spiritual need that we might not remain dead in our trespasses and sin. So the offer still stands today. If you're thirsty, come, drink. And are you dry? Are you parched? Are you thirsty? And if you're not thirsty, pray and say, God, make me thirsty for more of you. You know, so that we aren't the kind of people that Jeremiah described. We don't want to be hoarding stagnant, gross water in leaky buckets. Yeah. We want to come to Jesus. And I think, you know, we can ponder what, what are those places maybe in our life where we have tried on our own? You yeah. know, if we tried rule keeping or other good works. Yeah, the things that we think are going to satisfy mm -hmm. the need of our heart. Mm -hmm. And they just can't. Nothing can satisfy us. It's Jesus alone who gives us eternal life and that satisfaction in our heart through that gift of living water. So as Jesus told that Samaritan woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then as we close, I just want to point to Revelation 21.6. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Sweet promise. Thank you for joining us on our Women's North Women's Bible Study Podcast. And thank you, Amy, for My joining pleasure. us today. I'm glad I could.